found a podcast where you'll hear the truth and we will praise jesus name we stand for the bible and won't back down from it although it don't bring much fame some folks will like it some will try to deny it but god's word will always stand true Tried in the fire, still good in this hour. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Pod King Podcast. I'm your co-host, Donald King. And I'm the host of the Bible study, Donnie King. This is Friday, April the 15th, special edition number 25. Thank God for the Lamb. On this podcast, we study the Bible according to how it was written in the original languages, Greek and Hebrew, and how it was translated into English in the King James Version. In our last study, we finished the fourth and last chapter of Jonah. We then began looking at the many themes that run through this wonderful book. There are numerous things of interest in this short account of this most intriguing prophet. Was he a prophet or a rebel? Was he a man of God or a disobedient sinner? One thing is certain. God could use a man like Jonah. He can certainly use people like us. In today's episode, we celebrate that which Jesus fulfilled concerning his being the lamb. He was a lamb during his whole life, but never so clearly as when he was on trial through his crucifixion, death, burial, and his triumphant resurrection. We look at multiple elements of what the Lamb was to tell us throughout the whole of Scripture. Now for the teaching of God's Word and the lesson for today. I'll turn it to the host of the Pod King Podcast, our pastor, Brother Donnie King. I'm thankful that you've tuned in listening with us today. We got a very interesting study this morning that we want to go through. And I certainly encourage everyone to pass this along. Whenever you get a hold of something that's good, you pass it along. That's right. And as we're coming into Easter weekend, I wanted to look at something that I feel is very vital to our understanding of what took place in and around this time. So in order to do this, we must go back into the Old Testament and examine elements of the Passover. But I don't want to look at just every element within the Passover. I really want to zero down and focus on the most important element in the Passover event. What do you feel is the most important element of the Passover? Well, if I had to give you just one answer that sums it all up, I would have to say it would be the lamb. We could talk about the blood, but it's the blood of the lamb. We could talk about what that accomplished, but you've got to talk about the lamb in order to do that. You could talk about the Passover in general, but what made the Passover so important? All of it is unnecessary unless there's a lamb. So some of you probably know that the Passover occurred in the month Nisan for the Jews. The sacrifice was to be done on the 14th of the month, but they were to choose their lamb on the 10th day of Nisan. There's been much speculation concerning what happened to the lamb for those four days leading up to the Passover, but Jewish history and Jewish culture explains these things to us. The Passover lamb was to live among the household of the family as a pet. Now, this would go on for up to four days before it became the offering for the family. What was the main reasoning behind this? Well, it was so that the family would begin to feel an attachment for the lamb. Because, you know, for a sacrifice to truly be a sacrifice, it has to mean something to the person sacrificing it. To truly offer a sacrifice unto God, it must cost you something. That's true. Now, something of interest I want to add right here is that Jesus was examined by numerous groups for somewhere around four days leading up to the Passover. 
We know that he was brought into the religious house of Annas and Caiaphas, and then he was sacrificed after all of these things. We all know that the lamb must be perfect or spotless. The Sanhedrin, Pharisees, Sadducees, Herod, nor Pilate could find any fault in Christ. That's true. The high priest nor anyone else could find fault in him. Right. Annas and Caiaphas tried their best to find fault in him, but they had to hire false witnesses to condemn him. Jesus is the only one worthy to be the true Passover lamb. That's true. And we're going to look at some of those elements of why that is so today. You know, shepherds would drive the lambs down to the temple, and then the priest would ask the family before they began the sacrifice, do you love this little lamb? Originally, if there was no love for the lamb, the sacrifice was supposed to have been called off. There could be no sacrifice if the lamb was hated, despised, or not cared for. This tells us that there must be love before there can ever be a sacrifice. That's true. And Jesus proved that he was the sacrificial lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. We have proof that love was present in this ceremony before the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We're told in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. Even when we had no love for the lamb, the lamb of God loved us and he gave himself for us. This is the beauty of the gospel. The Bible said while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we become good. He died for us because he knew we were so bad. He wanted to make us good. Now we all get excited about how Jesus offered Peter forgiveness three times, once for each time that he denied him. We miss one of the biggest points of this when we begin looking at it from only one angle. Do you know what was going on when Jesus asked Peter in John chapter 21, lovest thou me? So Jesus was actually asking Peter, do you love this lamb? That's exactly what Jesus was doing. And I'd like to ask our audience today, do you love this lamb? Now, I'm not asking you, do you love lambs? I'm not asking, do you like to eat lamb? I'm not asking you, do you take care of lambs? I'm not asking, do you befriend lambs? I'm asking, do you love this lamb? The lamb I speak of is Jesus Christ. Everything about the Passover is connected with the lamb. Without a lamb, there would never be a Passover. That's true. It could not have happened without the lamb. Without a lamb, there would be no sacrifice. Without a lamb, there would be no substitute. Without a lamb, the sins of the people would have never gone away. Without a lamb, guilt and sorrow would still be reigning in our hearts. Without a lamb, God would never receive the people. Without the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, we're lost and undone in our sins. Jesus has fulfilled everything concerning lambs and sheep, so it becomes more than just a metaphor we use. It's not just a way that we say something or something that we talk about and everybody knows kind of what we're meaning. It's because he is the fulfillment, the embodiment of it. He literally became the lamb for us. Another thing of interest is that shepherds struggled for years in trying to get a ewe lamb, that's a female lamb, to accept an orphan sheep. They would try their best to get it. They would lay it in there while she was asleep, hoping that it would confuse her and she'd think it's one of her own. They would put it with two or three of her other ones who were feeding and lay that in there, but she would always know the difference. They finally learned that to get a ewe to accept an orphan sheep, you must bathe it in the blood of one of its, that ewe lamb's babies or in her blood of her own. And so when you did that, 
she would accept that lamb in, even though it was not hers. This is exactly what God has done for us in order for us to be accepted in and through Christ. He accepts us through the blood that Jesus shed. This is the best description of the adoption that Paul spoke about in Romans chapter 8, 15 through 18. As a matter of fact, let me read that. Let me pull that up real quick. He says, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Then he goes on and tells us if we're children, then we're heirs. And if we're heirs of God, we're joint heirs with Christ. And then he said, if we suffer with him, we'll be glorified together. That's an amazing portion of scripture right there. When God looks at us, he doesn't see us as orphaned lambs. We're not fatherless anymore. We do have a father. What happens is he sees the blood of his precious lamb. He can tell that it's the blood of his son that has died in our place. And now he recognizes us as his own. Now we can cry, Abba, Father, he is our God, and we are his lambs. I like it how David personalizes it in Psalm 23, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. That's exactly right. Ever since the beginning of time, God has always provided a substitutionary atonement for man. God has always provided a substitute for the ones who were guilty of sin that death might be avoided. This showcases the great love of God. It's been this way since the very beginning of time. If you want to, you can go all the way back to the garden. And God kills animals and covers or atones for the sin, however you want to call it, that Adam and Eve committed. He did that in their place. Adam and Eve should have died for their own sins, but God kills animals and makes coats for them. Abel, when he came to God, he brought a blood sacrifice. Why did he do that? Maybe you reckon that he was doing that for his sins? God told Abraham, said, go out, sacrifice your son, take your son, thine only son, Isaac, and go to the hill, which I will later shew thee of. And when he goes to make the sacrifice, God provides a ram instead. Isaac doesn't die, but the ram does. That's right. Joseph was done wrong by his brothers. And when he was assumed to be dead, his brothers killed a lamb to cover for Joseph. But yet that blood of that lamb actually covered for them because God still yet made a way for them. Joseph eventually saved the Jewish people from starvation and ultimately death. In the time of Moses, God gave them the Passover lamb to be sacrificed so that all Jewish firstborns could be spared. As soon as the children of Israel came up out of Egypt, God gave Moses the law at Mount Sinai. In that law, God gave them the priesthood, which concerned their sins and their forgiveness. The Levitical sacrifices were offered as a substitute for the people as forgiveness for their sins. That's right. So God gave a substitute once again. So knowing all of these things, that's not that's just going up to the book of Exodus from Genesis to Exodus. We've seen that over and over and over, God provides a lamb. When there's sin, God provides a lamb so that the man or the woman doesn't have to die. So should it surprise us that when God provided for all of our sins, ultimately, that Jesus came to save mankind from judgment and death by being our substitute in death? I wonder if the priest and the chief priest realized that for hundreds of years that they were only rehearsing the sacrifice of the Messiah with those lambs they slew every year. The whole idea of a substitutionary atonement speaks of one dying so another can go free. 
That's true, and it's very bothersome to me that in our day and hour that we're living in, there's a lot of people who are fighting against the idea of there never was a substitutionary atonement. They believe that Jesus died for our sins, but they don't believe that he died in our place any longer. To me, that's very disturbing. How could anyone who claims to be a Christian believe such as that? That's right. In the Passover, we see the lamb, and then we see that the lamb is slain. We see the significance of the blood allowing sinners to go free. Without the blood, sinner man cannot go free. We see the substitute for sin. We see the expiation and the forgiveness of those sins being offered unto man. There had to be a spotless lamb. Jesus lived a sinless life as the lamb of God. Well, the lamb had to be slain as well. Jesus willingly gave his life for our sins. Well, the blood has a special significance from the Passover lambs. The Bible says that without shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness of sins. That's true. And those who the blood was shed for went free. And and, and listen to that. Listen to what I said closely. That's a powerful statement if you can get a hold of it. Those who the blood was shed for went free. Now, I know that may bother some who are very strong Arminians. They think that's too Calvinistic. That's saying that Jesus only died for certain ones. It's always been that way. Not everyone will receive it. Jesus died for all, but not all will be saved. Think about it. Every man in Israel had the opportunity to bring a lamb and get forgiveness for their sins. Not all men of Israel brought the lamb, and those men were not forgiven their sins. If you didn't bring the lamb, you were not forgiven. If the lamb's blood isn't slain for your sin, your sin is not forgiven. If you don't come to Jesus and repent of your sins, your sins are not forgiven. So in that aspect, there is a limitation to atonement, but it's man that's limiting the atonement himself. The people who Jesus saves by his blood goes free from the bondage of sin and all of eternity in hell. They escape that punishment. The lamb was a substitute for the man who should have been executed. Jesus took our place. He died that we might live. Yes, he did. Do you remember in Genesis after man sinned in the garden, the Lord made coats for them to cover them? If you'll remember, the coats were made of slain animals. It's not a coincidence that when the Passover was instituted, that the sacrifice was also referred to as a coat of blood to be applied to the doorpost and to the lentils. It's not only by coincidence that when Jesus died, he covers us with his blood. Man has tried many times to cover himself, but the only one who can truly provide us a covering is the Lord himself. And we know that this happened when Jesus died for our sins, and it takes place in our heart when we receive him into our heart by faith. The blood of our Savior is then applied to our souls, and we are covered by the blood. Here's the point that I want to get to today. The whole Bible points to the Lamb. Keep that in your mind as you're listening today. The whole Bible points to the Lamb. All throughout scripture, we see one common theme that runs from beginning to end. This one theme has one important character that the theme is all about. Okay, you've got my curiosity stirred. What is the theme and who is the character? Well, the theme is the lamb and the character of the lamb is Jesus Christ. I want to go over 10 main scriptures that concern the lamb that I believe that if you can get a hold of these 10 scriptures, you'll see most everything about the lamb you need to see to be saved. These verses flow all the way from Genesis to the end of Revelation. 
The first mention of the lamb is in Genesis chapter 4. We see that in the process of time, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Abel brought the firstlings of his flock. What flock would he have been watching? There's only one type of animal that's called a flock. You don't have a flock of geese. It's a gaggle of geese. You don't have a flock of lions. You don't have a flock of dogs. You don't have a flock of cattle. You have a herd of cattle, but you have a flock of sheep. And he brought of the firstlings of his flock. So Abel brought a lamb. The Bible doesn't say here that God commanded a lamb sacrifice. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. But by everything that happens in the sacrifices of Cain and Abel, God received Cain's sacrifice. No, he rejected it because he brought of the fruit of the ground. There's a good reason for that. God had already cursed the fruit of the ground. Cain brought what God already cursed. Cain brought of what he had. He didn't bring the best of what he had. Abel brought the firstlings, the very first ones that were born. He brought them and gave God the firstborn. And so by giving God the firstborn, he took it from his flock. He gave God a lamb. Now, the way Adam and Eve's sin was handled, we see that it was necessary that something would die. In Hebrews 11 and 4, we see that it was said that Abel, by faith, offered this sacrifice. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Obviously, God had commanded a blood sacrifice or offering at some point. Abel was only trying to please the Lord. The Lord had respect unto Abel's offering, and he had none unto Cain's. The second time we see the lamb is in Genesis 22, verses 7 through 8 with Abraham and Isaac. In this setting, we see the provision of the lamb. Remember Abraham telling Isaac, God will provide himself a lamb. Let me read that to you. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? I know we need a lamb. Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And they went, both of them, together. So here we see that not only must a lamb be slain, that there must be a provision of a lamb. God has certainly provided us with a lamb. That's exactly true. The third time we see the lamb in the Bible is in Exodus 12. All throughout this chapter, you see how the Passover sacrifice was to be gathered together, to be slain, and what was to be done with it. You can read through this whole passage, and it will explain the Passover beautifully to you because this is the setting of the Passover. God distinctly tells Moses in verse 13, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So God distinctly tells Moses, there's got to be a slaying of the lamb. There's got to be a shedding of the blood of the lamb. So far, we have seen the need of the lamb, provision of the lamb, and now the death and shedding of the blood of the lamb. That's right. We not only need a lamb. We got to have one provided. God provides the lamb for us. And then that lamb that's provided must die with its blood being shed. This is what you get out of the first three mentions of the lamb in the Bible. The fourth time we see the lamb is in Leviticus 16. Through verses 15 and 16, there's much said about the lamb, about the offerings. But the stress is really put upon what the lamb is to be like. In this, we see the character of the lamb. Let me read you those two verses. 
Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat and he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel because of their transgressions and all of their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Here we see the character of the lamb. Somewhere around 20 times in this portion of Leviticus, it mentions that the lamb must be spotless or without any blemish. In Leviticus 22 and 21, it says the lamb must be perfect to be accepted. Let me read that. That's a good verse. And whosoever offereth a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow or a free will offering in beeves or sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. The lamb must be perfect. This is what we're learning here. The character of the lamb is that the lamb must be perfect in all of his ways or the blood is of no use for us. The fifth time that we see the lamb, we're going to jump way forward into Isaiah chapter 53. The whole chapter here deals with what the suffering servant or the lamb would be like. But I want you to please listen to verse 7. This tells us very much about the lamb. This gives us a look into the personhood or the personality of the lamb. Verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's a key phrase, him. Because verse 7 says, He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. Here we learn some pretty important things about the lamb. Up until this point in time, everything that has been spoken concerning these lambs were actual lambs. But now we have revealed unto us that the lamb is a person. It speaks about lambs and it speaks about sheep, but then it differentiates between the true lamb And it says he. So we realize the real lamb that we're looking for is a person, and it's a man, and this is what he's going to go through. This portion of Scripture is very different from the others we've read. Yes, it is, because we're now seeing that the lamb is a person. He is a character. He has a personality. The person is referred to as the suffering servant, but he's also called the lamb. The lamb is a person. Listen to how the lamb begins to take the shape of a man by what we hear. He is brought as a lamb unto the slaughter. He is as a lamb. He is not an actual lamb, but he is the lamb. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He opened not his mouth. So we've seen the necessity of a lamb. We've got to have a lamb. We see that God provides the lamb for us. We see that the lamb must be slain and his blood shed. We see that the lamb must be perfect. And now we find out that the lamb is a person. Now that takes us to the sixth time that we see the lamb, and it's in the New Testament. This will be found in John chapter 1, verse 29 and verse 36. Here we see the identity of the lamb. John cried out, Behold, the lamb of God. So we have right here in John 1 and 29, the next day John saith Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold, the lamb of God. John pointed out the lamb. 
Now, here's what we're learning right here. We see the identity of the lamb. We found out in Isaiah 53, the lamb would be a man. Here in John chapter one, we see the lamb is Jesus. We don't have to look any farther for the lamb. Everything that we have studied so far was common knowledge to the Jews. They knew all of this, but they somehow missed the lamb that God provided. Yes, they missed the main lamb that they needed. They failed to see the true lamb. They saw all of the old lambs. They saw the ones that had to be killed at the temple, but they missed the lamb. The seventh mention of the lamb is in Acts chapter 8. We read through verses 26 through 38 where Philip encounters the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's reading Isaiah 53 by chance. No, not by chance, but because God put this thing together. (laughs) Here we see the Lamb is the Messiah. He's sent from God to save us from our sins because Philip asked the Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you read? He said, well, how can I except some man tell me or show me? And Philip from those same scriptures preached unto him Jesus Jesus is not only the son of Joseph, he's the son of man. But he's not only the son of man, he's the son of God. Jesus is not only the son of Joseph, the son of David, the son of man, and the son of God, but he is the lamb of God. But he's not only just the lamb of God, he's also the promised Messiah. He is the Christ. The Ethiopian eunuch heard the message, saw the scripture, and believed on the lamb's sacrifice and was saved right then and there. Yes, he was. And we know that he got saved because he had a desire to go get baptized immediately afterwards. He said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? Right. If an Ethiopian eunuch who knows little about the gospel as he did knew that he needed to go get baptized when he got saved, Why do some of our people struggle so bad who have been raised in church about wanting to go get baptized? That's right. We ought to be able to see all of these things pointing to the lamb. Now, the eighth time in scripture that I want to point out where the lamb is showcased is in 1 Peter 1 and 18 through 21. Let me go over some of this with you. Peter's going to rehearse all of these things that we've already studied concerning the lamb, but then he tells us a little more. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who was verily foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Now we see that the lamb must die and resurrect. Now we already knew the lamb must die and his blood be shed. But here we specifically see the resurrection of the lamb. Okay, for all this to make sense, there must be a lamb. The lamb must be provided. The lamb must be perfect. The lamb will be an actual person. He has an identity. He is able to save. He must die, but he will rise again. You've got it. That's the whole process thus far. And this is very important for us to understand these things. If the lamb dies, He must rise again. If the lamb dies and then rises in resurrection, power, and glory, those who believe in the lamb will do the same. Now, the last two times that we're going to look at the lamb is going to be in Revelation. Revelation chapter 5, you read the whole chapter here. We see the enthronement of the lamb. The lamb who died is the same lamb who resurrected. The same lamb who resurrected 
ascended to heaven. The same lamb that ascended to heaven is seated by the Father. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's set down on the throne with God. He is not only the lamb. He is the Son of God, and he is in heaven making intercession for us. Yes, And I want to read a scripture to you proving that the Father and Son shared the throne in heaven, and that would be found in Revelation 3 and 21. Jesus says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. There's a lot of people today that are arguing, saying that Jesus has not yet been enthroned, that when we get to heaven, he'll have an enthronement ceremony. But when the book of Revelation was written by John, Jesus told John, I'm already set down with my father in the throne. He said, I'm going to allow everybody to know I have a throne. He's not waiting to become king. He is already king. So this tells us that the lamb is on the throne. And that's our 10th and final time that we see the lamb mentioned in scripture is in Revelation 21 and 9 through 23 and Revelation 22 verses 1 through 5. We see the everlasting kingship and the kingdom of the Lamb. So you're telling us that the Lamb is the King of kings and Lord of lords for all of eternity? I certainly am, and I'm telling you that he's just not going to become that. He already is. Praise God. So watching the progression of the Lamb from Genesis to Revelation is pretty amazing, ain't it? It is. Could you recap that for all of our listeners? Yeah, let me go through it step by step and show you what's happening here. We must first realize that we're lost in our sins. Therefore, we need a lamb. We must understand that God has provided a lamb for us. We know that the lamb must be slain in order to cover for our sins. We know the lamb must be spotless without blemish and perfect. We know that the lamb is an actual person. We know that the person or the personality of the lamb is Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is able to save anyone to the uttermost. We know that he is the risen Lamb. He died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again. We read that the Lamb is sitting on the throne in heaven with the Father now, making intercession for our sins. We understand that the Lamb will reign in heaven throughout all of eternity. Now, looking back over each setting of Scripture, we can see a lot of the doctrines concerning Jesus, and they all come from the Lamb. Do you mind to point them out in case someone has missed this point? Well, yeah, yeah, I will. As a matter of fact, me and Brother Chris Lee have been teaching on systematic theology, and many of these things I'm going to mention right now have been covered in that. If you've been missing those episodes, go back and listen to them because every one of these are so vital and important. Amen. In Genesis 4, we're told of the propitiation of the lamb. In Genesis 22, we're told of the substitution of the lamb. In Exodus 12, we're told of the protection of the lamb. We need to be covered. When you're covered, you're protected. Think of insurance. They asked you, hey, are you covered? Yeah, well, you're protected. It's the same way with the blood, but much greater. In Leviticus 16, we're told of the atonement of the lamb. In Isaiah 53, we're told of the forgiveness or the expiation of our sins by the Lamb. In John chapter 1, we're told of the Lamb's power to take away our sins. In Acts chapter 8, we're told that salvation comes through the Lamb. In 1 Peter 1, we're told of redemption and resurrection through the Lamb. In Revelation 5, we're told of the government of the Lamb that we first started hearing about in Isaiah chapter 9. In Revelation 21 and 22, we're told of the eternal glory and the sovereignty of the Lamb. 
So we have propitiation, substitution, protection, atonement, forgiveness and expiation, power, redemption, resurrection, government, sovereignty. All of these are doctrines that were established by the Lamb and they were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. How about go over how the revelation of the Lamb appears throughout scriptures? One of the things that we're going to look at in next week's study of systematic theology, me and Brother Chris Lee are going to talk about progressive revelation that leads to all of this knowledge of God. And so in Genesis chapter 4, we see the lamb is slain for sin. In Genesis 22, the lamb is slain for one person, Isaac. In Exodus 12, the lamb is slain for one family. He said, let each family kill their own lamb and stay within your own house. The lamb is slain and it covers one family. In Leviticus 16, we see the lamb is slain for one nation, Israel. In Isaiah 53, the lamb is slain for the elect, those that God has called and chosen. And John chapter 1, the lamb is slain for the world. John said, behold, the lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. And Acts 8, the lamb is slain for whosoever will receive him. Even an Ethiopian eunuch can receive him. First Peter 1, the lamb is slain for all of history. And Revelation 5, the lamb is slain for the whole universe. And Revelation 21 and 22, the lamb we see was slain for all of eternity that every person that would ever desire to be saved can be saved. So the lamb was slain for sin. He was slain for individuals. He is slain for families. He was slain for nations. He was slain for the elect. He was slain for the world. He was slain for whosoever will. He was slain for history, for the whole universe, and all of eternity. Thank God for the lamb. Thank God for Jesus, who is the lamb of God. Amen. Friends, if you have a Bible question that you'd like an answer to, drop us an email at dkministries1977 at yahoo.com. That's dkministries1977 at yahoo.com. We sure hope you've enjoyed this special edition today. If you do, let us know. Drop us an email. Until next time, may God bless you all. Thank you for tuning in, and we invite you to come back for our Next week's study. So I can keep my soul feeling free. I'll gladly bear the reproach, Lord, for the gospel's sake. Where I go, you've already been there. Cause I'm walking in Jesus' name. Well, I'm walking in Jesus' name. I'm going where he bid to go. Dressing and talking like he wants me to He's a keeper of my soul I have learned to lean on Jesus And cast on him my ever concern I'm looking for a home in glory Where no sorrow